0: Hi, welcome back to the podcast. In this week's discussion, we are going to go through a topic that is slightly sensitive, but hopefully, like any journey, the more dangerous the journey, the more treacherous the journey may be, the richer the rewards will be. By way of giving us a framework to our discussion, we are going to be discussing three points. The first of which will be the idea of gender in general. This is a more of an overview of to sort of get us into the mode of the discussion. The second point will be an example or our case study, this week's parasha, Parashas Tazria, where we discuss one of the most common or the most famous examples of an imbalance between the genders and one of the most commonly cited ones. And lastly, we will hopefully be able to walk away with a more enriched understanding of both the sensitivity to the issues and the ideas being discussed, but also a valuable message and a key tool that Judaism is offering us in how we look at the world. So, to begin with, why are we discussing gender and sexism in this week's parasha? Well, because it's our case study. To touch upon it for a second, at the beginning of this week's parasha, we have parasha's tazriya. Without going through all the details, at the beginning of this week's parasha, a description is given of when a woman gives birth. And when a woman gives birth, she becomes impure. But if she gives birth to a boy... She waits seven days till she reaches or can begin the process of becoming pure. And if she has a girl, she has to wait 14 days. Now, this clear imbalance, if a person has a boy or she has a girl, there's a clear clash here. Why is it longer for a girl? And this is something that comes upon us immediately as we first read the psukim. The point I want to mention at the beginning of this discussion is that Rav approach to these sort of questions I find very refreshing, because often you find people attempting to peddle out apologetics, to explaining imbalances in ancient texts, specifically from a Jewish point of view, and making them work in a modern framework. And to do this, they often point to the nature of a man or a woman to explain why things are a certain way, either by resulting in a woman being more spiritual than a man, and thereby a woman not needing certain things. Rav Hirsch doesn't go down this road. He goes down the road of attempting to isolate or describe the core principles, the root principles that are being dealt with and see how they manifest. And I find these more refreshing than the other forms of explanations you often have. And the way he does it in this week's Parsha is he discusses the very concept that we're dealing with. Like any good philosopher, he asks us to identify our terms. But one further point is worth mentioning. We have to remember that we're coming into this discussion trying to explain an imbalance. But that desire to explain an imbalance isn't purely coming from our modern experience. Because remember, when the accusation of sexism, or the accusation of an imbalance is put on the table, and any attempt to explain it is brushed away as bad apologetics, we have to remember that the Torah has to be taken as a full package. For example, at the beginning of Genesis, a an ancient text 3,300 years ago declared that man and woman were both created in the image of God. That wasn't a trendy idea. Men were barely created in the image of God. I mean, potentially kings. But not men, oh, definitely not women. So, Rav Hirsch's desire to explain this imbalance is coming from a framework, is coming from a grounding where he feels that the tire is just, that he feels that the tire is giving us a fair and balanced approach. So getting back to our discussion, Ruth tells us to analyze the principles, the principles in this case, being the concept of impurity. What do I mean by this? We say a woman is impure when she gives birth. And the stages of purity are double for a girl, over a boy. The question is, what is impurity? It's sort of a question that's not often asked. It's, well, what is impurity? It seems where we are steeped in, I suppose, a Christian society, so we think impurity is somehow a bad thing, something to be shameful of. And this idea I have discussed previously, but not in the context of Tazria, this week's parasha. What is impurity? Now, that is a concept that has to be dealt with before you can level the claim of sexism against a concept, not until you understand the concept, are you in a position to make accusations. And that is what Rav Hirsch does. He tries to explain the principle of Tumma and Tahara, purity and impurity, and then see how the principles apply. So let us begin with what it's not. It's not something bad. What do I mean by it's not something bad? It's not evil. It's not a disease. It's something that comes upon a person when they are in a certain stage in life, be it a male or a female. When they get into contact with certain things, they fall under the status of being impure. Now this isn't a sin according to Jewish law. It just means you're restricted in what you can do. You can't go to the temple. You can't bring sacrifices. There are certain areas you can't move into how it works, how it transfers, how it interacts between objects from a Jewish perspective, the laws are very specific. So to explain this, Rav Hirsch goes to, I suppose, the paradigm case. The paradigm case of impurity, or the most potent case of impurity, from a Jewish standpoint, is a dead body. A dead body, for Rav Hirsch, gives over a certain conception of the world. Physical necessity. All comes to death. For Rav Hirsch, this is the framework in which impurity is nested in. The idea of impurity isn't a bad, toxic, noxious element that transfers between objects. It is a concept, a concept that has been given over in its most potent form by death. Death, for him, illustrates a certain amount of determinism, that which is completely contrary to the Jewish way of looking at the world. The entirety, everything about Judaism rests on the pillar of freedom, of man's moral freedom, the ability for man to act in a world that isn't based off necessity. A dead body gives over the complete opposite notion. Putting it in a grounded way, an individual walking through the world after being in contact with death has death on his mind. Death and the inevitability that all comes to the grave. He will look at the world, he will experience the world as a more restrictive less free environment, we contrast this with an individual walking through the world with life on his mind, with his ability to transcend his material and sort of psychological circumstances and act beyond what is expected of him or where he thinks he must go, that person is free. And this is the concept of impurity and purity in play. To appreciate the power of what we're discussing, death and the inevitability that all succumbs to the grave is a truth of our experience. And this is bolstered by our scientific way of looking at the world, that everything is a result of a prior cause. And the very claim from the beginning of Genesis is contrary to this, that we can transcend our physical environment and we can act in a way that is free. So the impact of getting into contact with death requires Tahara, purity, a refreshing process to remind us of our free nature. Now let us bring in our question, this week's Parsha, Parsha's Tazria why is a woman impure when she gives birth? And second of all, why is it longer for a girl than it is for a boy? So to begin with, the very description the Psukim give, the title of this week's Parsha, Tazria, refers to the very physical act of giving birth harkening back to Genesis when we describe the plants, there's no to give birth, it's tazria from the word seed, to produce. And for refresh this is very telling because it is specifically referring to the physical act. Now why is this so key? Because the same way to show the parallel here between death and what is happening here, because in theory or practice it's completely contrary to the idea of death. Why is impurity relevant here? Well, if you look at death as being the point of impurity, well, then you have a question. But that wasn't our point. It wasn't the very act of dying. It was the notion that is given over by death. Now, males have a parallel as well. But what is being described here is a woman goes under a process of physical necessity. Death gives over the idea of physical necessity in the terms it all succumbs to death. But giving birth has that parallel principle there too. Yes, the very first act to become pregnant is based in moral freedom, but what comes from that? A woman undergoes a process of physical compulsion, physical necessity. You can't escape it. The pain, the physical processes, the physiological processes that take over the body give over this notion of non-freedom, of necessity. And this from a Jewish standpoint, needs to be refreshed or educated against after nine months of this process. So once again, to play it out in a grounded way, when a person becomes pregnant, their experience of their body's changes, of when they give birth or what happens to them, is completely beyond their control. It is happening to them. The growth is happening to them. The danger lies similar when it comes to death that a person can look at the world and say, this is all there is. So we've explained why the notion of impurity is relevant in this case, but why longer for a girl than it is for a boy? Why 14 days over 7 days? For of her, now a description of the actual process takes place. Why 7 days to begin with? They both share 7 days. What is 7 days? Well, 6 days was the Jewish days of creation, which refers to nature. 7 days is Shabbos, which represents a transcendence. So we both have seven days to begin with. But why does a girl get another seven added towards it? Well, I because the boy has the bris. The psukim interject at this point and say a boy goes through the process of having a bris. So to go over these seven days again, seven days represent nature. Six days in terms of unfree nature. The seventh day, Shabbos, representing freedom within nature. So keeping our pattern in mind, the journey towards purity has begun. The seven days, equal for a boy and a girl, is the first steps. The journey of purity, the journey of this re-education into the morally free. Then after the seven days, representing freedom within nature, we have the eighth, the Jewish statement. But that is given over by a boy's bris. The bris, which represents the Jewish mission, is impressed upon the mother in a vivid way by the bris of the son. The father is the role model to the boy. Gives over this responsibility to the child and to himself a reminder to himself in his role in this experience that is given over by this eighth day for a girl who is taking that role of responsibility the woman the woman is taking that role of responsibility as role model to the girl, hence another seven days is added towards it that bris and seven days are the same thing, each one represents the seven but just on an octave higher. That is given over by the eighth day of the bris for a boy, and another seven days for a girl. The repetition of those seven days, giving over that idea that those seven, but on a higher octave, on a higher level, the boy that is given over by the bris, for a girl, it is given over by another seven days. So when we look at it from the mother's point of view, yes, she experiences what happens to her son, but then she takes part in what happens to her daughter parallel to the bris is another seven days. So to sum up our idea, we discuss the idea of impurity and how impurity is a reminder that the world is not essentially deterministic. The Jewish claim that the world is based off something higher, something more transcendence, the freedom of the will. And when a person comes into contact with ideas or objects that remind us of the deterministic nature of the world, we have to go through a process of purity to remind us of our higher calling. When it comes to death, well that's obvious, when it comes to a person giving birth, that deterministic physical compulsion that takes over them throughout this process requires a reminder that they have a transcendent role and they are free. When it comes to a boy being born, the responsibility lies primarily with the father as role model. So the seven days are cut short by the bris mila, which represents this seven days but on a higher octave, the eighth octave, a level above When it comes to a girl, the girl doesn't have a bris. So another seven there to represent that same idea of a bris as a reminder to the mother as role model to the girl. I hope you found this satisfying and interesting. And the tool we walk away with is an appreciation of what we could mean by impurity. Sort of draws us out of this potential Christian notion that impurity is a bad thing or an evil thing. So with that, I wish you a wonderful week and a wonderful Shabbos.